everything you hear about investment banking. Sometimes you work from nine to three, four in the morning. During my Nomura internship, I lost six kilos just because I would always skip lunch. But I was definitely uh, a little bit of a troublemaker. Dear viewers and listeners, welcome to another episode of Side by Side with myself, your host, Kazi Shafiqur Rahman. Today we have an amazing guest with us who will share an incredible story. And I quit my job just before COVID hit. And I thought, okay, what is a business that I'm really passionate about that I've always thought I'd like to be involved in? His name is Abdurrahman. He's a family friend of ours and he has been on an incredible um, journey with his specialty coffee house, Gulliam. What's your biggest fear? Uh, that's a really good question. I, cha I, I change my mind about this every few months. I guess uh, cliche, but disappointing my parents or failing. Why do you do what you do? Because it's not like, Alhamdulillah, like with, with God's blessing, you guys are very well established, you know, whether it's in Egypt or, or, or in London. Um, but why do you do what you do? So dear viewers and listeners, uh, welcome to another episode of Side by Side with myself, Kazi Shafiqur Rahman. Today we have an amazing guest with us. Um, he's not only just a guest um, that we wanted to bring on board, he's also a good family friend of ours as well. He had an amazing journey with his business recently. Um, he started just before the COVID-19 lockdown. He currently owns four specialty coffee houses in iconic places within London. He is not someone that you might know on social media because he likes to keep it a bit low profile and Alhamdulillah we have managed to convince him to come and sh uh, share his story with us. Allow me to introduce Abdurrahman, the owner of uh, Gulliam Specialty Coffee House. I hope I spelled it correctly. Yeah, no, that's, uh, that's very good. Um, it's usually, I mean, the name comes from a French, from a French name, Guillaume. But then uh, it's the last name of a character in a novel. So the writer is English. So he pronounces it as Gwillem. And everyone sort of just pronounces it slightly differently. But nice. whatever works for Nice, amazing. For people. So now just to kind of um, kick things off um, and get you comfortable. Um, I want you to kindly speak to us about your, I guess, life you're, you're, you're from Egypt, yep. your life growing up in Egypt and your childhood and, and um, all the way up to, I guess, moving to, to London. Yeah. Uh, well, first of all, it's a pleasure being here with you. Thank you so much. Thank for you. Thank you for making this. the effort. Uh, no, it's, uh, I've listened to uh, your last few episodes and it's an incredible podcast. Thank you so much. Um, so I was born in Alexandria in Egypt, which is a coastal city by the Mediterranean. And um, I, I loved growing up there. It was beautiful. It was uh, not as big as Cairo. And uh, just growing up by the beach was incredible. Sort of being able to go to uh, the beach on the weekends uh, was fantastic. And I studied uh, the Egyptian curriculum until I was um, just before high school. And then I switched to IGCSEs. And I loved the IGCSE curriculum, which is the international version of the GCSEs. And I thought that by extension, maybe university in the UK would also be a very good idea. 
So um, I started looking at universities and I thought, because I had that idea earlier, why not just try and go for the last uh, couple of years of school in the UK as well, uh, which is sixth form. So um, I didn't know anyone in the UK at the time and my family didn't either. So I was just Googling schools in the UK, boarding schools in the UK, because that's sort of what I saw in movies. And um, I found a few schools. I liked their websites. Um, that was the extent of my research. And then I applied to a few. I got accepted in one. Uh, I think I got accepted in a couple. And then I chose one that I preferred the look of the website of. And they had, <laughs> uh, I think they had some specific focus on rugby as a sport, which I enjoyed playing. So I thought, okay, let's go there. And so I booked a, a ticket to London, came, and at the train station, I thought I'll take the train to school. And it turns out it was close to a, a seven, eight hour journey away. It was in North Yorkshire. Uh, so I went from Alexandria to the countryside in North Yorkshire in a boarding school. Uh, it was really interesting. I enjoyed that experience a lot. Uh, it was completely different to what I was used to. I think I was thrown in the deep end and um, it was fun. Um, and afterwards I went to the University of Bath and uh, during that time I did a sandwich uh, uh, placement year course. Um, so I studied economics, I did two years of studying, worked for a year and then came back for my final year. And so for my placement, I went to Morgan Stanley in their sales and trading uh, division. Uh, so I was there for a year. I loved I love economics and finance. I think they're they're super interesting. And during my undergrad, I didn't do any finance courses because I really wanted to focus on economics just pure sort of understanding the theory, macro, micro, etc. And um, that experience at Morgan Stanley gave me an understanding of investment banking in general, because at uni you sort of think of investment banking as being this one job or one role. Um, and I just realized there's so many different positions, so many different um, um, areas that you can go into in finance. And so I realized my interest wasn't really in the sales and trading part because I love businesses and I thought that I would get more exposure to businesses uh, through investment banking. Amazing. If you were to go all the way back, like yeah. rewind right to the beginning of your memory, like, you know, when it starts recording. Yeah. What is that memory? What, what do you remember? <clears throat> the first ever memory? I think uh, a formative part of my childhood was working in our family business in Egypt. My dad always emphasized the importance of uh, working when you have holidays and just um, sort of appreciating um, appreciating hard work and appreciating putting the effort in. So I, I definitely have a lot of memories uh, just working on holidays and weekends, etc. And just sort of even when I was really young, being around my dad in his office. Amazing. So interesting you mentioned about your dad and obviously our kind of friendship or family relationship, um, I believe, came through your father. Do you remember like, you know, or can you explain like you know, how this all happened and how did we kind of get to uh, meet our family and your, your, your family? Um, yeah, I think that was just a beautiful serendipitous moment. It was, uh, I think, your brother on a flight to Egypt just ran into my mom and then they started talking and then she introduced him to my dad. And uh, obviously he was coming from London, going to Egypt. 
And so I think they met in Egypt. And then when my dad came to visit, we met again in London. And I think the second time round, he sort of invited me and my brother and we met you and your family. And then yeah. I think that was around four years ago or so. Mm. And then we've... I think way more than that. Yeah, maybe... <laughs> way more. Yeah, maybe four or five years ago or even longer. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so we've just stayed in touch ever since. And uh, I've been following your guys' Amazing. journey. It's, it's, it's really kind of um, a very strange kind of, I guess... Not strange, but it's, it's how the relationship has developed is, is very um, interesting. Now, you spoke about your father. You said your father has a business. Um, would you mind sharing what kind of business and the scale of the business so people can appreciate, you know, you know what we're talking about? Yeah, so he was, I th he was the first person to create a supermarket in Alexandria, the city we're in. And at the time, the concept of supermarkets wasn't really there in Egypt. And um, people uh, get, didn't think it was a good idea at the time, but he's uh, he sort of decided to go ahead and start it. Uh, I guess by today's standards for the UK, the first supermarket would have been a, a corner shop type of place, or maybe slightly bit like a local grocer. Uh, but thankfully, it's it's grown from strength to strength, and now it's it's one of the leading supermarket chains in Egypt. Definitely the biggest in Alexandria and uh, a few other governments that we're in. Amazing. So in terms of if I was if in, in a size comparison, how would you compare it? Is it to a, a Tesco Extra or or is it going to be a Tesco? I don't know the the, the normal size Tesco mm. or the or smaller type. I think uh, there's a few formats. So it depends on the area we're in. Uh, some of the areas we're in were a normal Tesco size. Um, maybe bigger, uh, slightly bigger. Other areas is sort of a mall, and then we, we just have the um, lower ground floor completely as a supermarket. So it's, it's quite, a high, it would be considered a hypermarket, I would say. Um, okay, like really big. Yeah. And what's the biggest, like, do you know what's the biggest, um, I guess, floor area you, you've got? What's I the biggest remember floor? off the top of my head, but I think it would be maybe 15,000 square meters, sort of that meters. Size. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> amazing, amazing. Um, so growing up in Alexandria or Iskenderia, yeah, Iskenderia as you guys call yeah. it, um, in classroom, what were you like? Were you more like a leader or were you kind of more blending in or were you a follower? Um, I don't know. I, I don't think there's one I think it depends on the period of my life, uh, but I was definitely uh, a little bit of a troublemaker, I would say. Um, I wasn't I wasn't like a, a leader uh, pushing people to, to bully others, etc. <laughs> uh, but um, I think I always had a, a sense of uh, uh, independence and um, didn't really put me in a, in a specific uh, definition of, of you're a leader or a follower. I just wanted to do what I thought was useful or interesting. What were you interested in at that time when you were kind of much younger? Um, I was interested in work and sports. Um, uh, and uh, yeah, generally just going out with friends. Um, uh, I was really into fishing as well. Uh, nice. So growing up by the beach, that was, uh, that was really fun. And I think as I grew, I sort of developed different interests. So rugby was a a huge thing that I really enjoy doing in sixth form, sort of uh, before sixth form and during sixth form when I was in boarding school. Here. Amazing. Now, I want to know more about the impact your mom and dad 
had on yourself and your kind of development? Like, what are the key takeaways? Um, I think anything good or any good qualities I have definitely came from them. Anything bad was sort of my own <laughs> rebellion. Um, but um, no, they were uh, really key to, to my growth and development. Um, you know, my parents uh, are different in a way. So my dad focuses more on work, etc. And uh, so I learned a lot from him. I learned a lot about honesty, integrity, and just constantly trying to do the right thing. Um, which is very helpful when you start your own business because there are so many ways to cut corners or try to do the wrong thing or if someone entrusts you with anything you can sort of not potentially do the wrong thing but there's always gray areas and he always instilled in me uh, that you have to do the right thing regardless of whether anyone will ever know or not and my mom it was sort of just again everything on the personal side being moral being honest uh being good to your friends so uh yeah all of those good qualities amazing she, she's 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 a teacher as well she she teaches um, you guys the quran and 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 all of that yeah definitely she? growing up that was a big focus uh teaching us yeah i realized that when we when we met as well because she offered my wife to kind of go down and you know then she can teach her more about you know Islam and Quran so yeah I, I think she knows a lot so she's very uh, uh, she really enjoys meeting people who uh, are interested in the same area amazing well. now the big question um, tell me about your I know you had a first job like after your university and everything yeah. and how did that go and why did you leave so to continue on uh, from the experience I had at Morgan Stanley um, I think it was a great formative experience, but I realized I wasn't interested in sales and trading. So I decided to go into more the investment banking corporate side of things. So mergers and acquisitions, etc. So I did a master's at uh, Imperial College London in finance. And then afterwards, I did a summer internship in the mergers and acquisitions team at Nomura, the Japanese investment bank. And um, that was a, a really interesting experience because I really enjoyed the work, but I hated the team and the culture I was in <laughs> because it wasn't it was a very selfish culture in a way it was just very odd um, and sort of of course you hear all these things about investment banking but um, I just didn't realize the extent to which it could be that negative and so I didn't enjoy that experience but I was still really into finance and I got a job at a place called Campbell Lutchens um, it's a, an advisory firm in Mayfair. They focus on two things. One of them is private equity secondary transactions and capital raising. So I joined their private equity secondaries team. And it was an incredible experience. I loved it. The team was amazing. Um, it was as much work as Nomura was. So sort of everything you hear about investment banking. Sometimes you work from 9 to 3, 4 in the morning. Um, 9 a.m. till... Uh, yeah, to three in the morning. I mean, during my Nomura internship, I lost six kilos just because I no would always skip way. lunch because I didn't want to get that dip in energy after uh, Wow, that is after madness. And then it, would, it was normal to be sort of... Like, are people living a life like that? Even like, obviously now you've moved on, but are there people that are doing that kind of thing even now? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it is part of the culture in a way that in the top, banks you have to put in the hours um, they're usually small teams working on very 
delicate, big transactions. But do you get remunerated for the extra hours or it's just the fixed salary that you're kind of on? No, there's a bonus element which forms the, which sort of puts you in a, in a good uh, financial position. Um, so that's why people sort of put in these hours. It's okay. also the, the environment that attracts um, very uh, competitive, hardworking people. So usually they don't mind doing those hours. I mean, I'm sure everyone minds, but when they're in it, they sort of just um, accept it as yeah. part of the job. Wow, that's but, crazy. Uh, yeah, my experience at uh, Campbell Lutchens was amazing. I, I loved it. But um, I think even though the work was incredible, the team was super nice, supportive, friendly. We still did the same hours, but it was just a, a very big change from Nomura where it was hard work, but your team is not as supportive uh, to that experience. So it, it was incredible. And it's easily a place I could have seen myself be in for the next five, 10 years. Um, but at the time, I wanted to go into finance to understand how businesses work and to understand how to set up a business, how operations work. And I thought investment banking, the corporate side of things would give me that exposure. But I realized that it was at that size transactions, sort of when you're talking hundreds of millions of pounds, it's too abstract. So there's so there are so many people involved your job is just to focus on the numbers, get the transaction done, and then uh, make sure you do sort of the best job in that specific area. And so I thought, well, that's not really the experience I wanted to get. So why not start something from scratch? And that will give me sort of the perfect exposure to how to set up something and understand how a business works. And uh, that's why I decided to leave. And I guess that brings perfectly yeah. to my next question why coffee out of all the other things maybe you could have done something that's that your father has done yeah. which you have experience in but why coffee i think i i love coffee i love the cafe culture in general i think they're amazing spaces for people to meet hang out um and coffee uh, has always been a part of my life since i was in school studying. so what age are we talking uh, maybe 16 okay 16 17 um I started off as everyone does with Starbucks, sort of super sweet, flavorful frappuccinos. And then I slowly just dove into understanding the beans, the different beans that they have. And um, at uni, when I was in Bath, Bath had a lot of amazing cafes. So I started to sort of go into more on the specialty milk drinks, milk based drinks. So cappuccinos, but done in a specialty way. So smaller drinks. Um, just to get the flavor of the coffee right. And then I moved on to espressos. And uh, there was a cafe in Bath that offered a variety of different beans. So I'd always try and go and try different beans and taste the difference uh, based on the beans. And I quit my job just before COVID hit. And I thought, okay, what is a business that I'm really passionate about that I've always thought I'd like to be involved in? Um, because I knew entrepreneurship is a difficult journey. So you have to be passionate about the business and sort of really try and see where it goes. Um, and you have to have a, a motivation uh, to yeah. get through the hard times. So I um, thought, okay, I've always wanted to own a cafe that I would like to go to, which had all the different areas that I thought could be fixed in a cafe, in the coffee shops that I went. Um, and so I decided to start a cafe and, um, um, Perfect market timing. I uh, we opened maybe two three months into COVID. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, but it was still sort of a weird timing because 
people are sort of saying, oh, there's this virus in China. It's now moved to Europe, but it wasn't really a huge thing still in the UK. Yeah. But I opened and the place was empty. And I was thinking, did I make a mistake? <laughs> Why aren't people coming in? And then I think two weeks later, everything was shot and we, we closed down for a bit. Now take me, take me slightly backwards in okay. terms of like, you know, so you decided you want to open a coffee shop. Yeah. And then what? What are the processes that you've had to go through up until your first tour? So um, honestly, it, it's very funny because I had no experience. I'd never done a, a I mean, I've worked in a family business, but I did all sort of jobs, but none of them was hospitality. None of them was like a waitressing or a bartending job or anything. So uh, I had no I had no idea. So I was just Googling how to uh, start a cafe um, <laughs> and I was I think uh, cycling it around the areas I liked and looking at shops reading the signs if any are for rent and um, I would call them up and they would say okay send us a landlord pack and I was like what is a landlord pack so I would just write it down google it later figure out what that is um, and um, I was cycling around Imperial because when I was there I knew the area didn't really have that many cafes and I found one and I called the landlord uh, I called the agent and again I was just trying to fish for information from the agent for what I need to have to mm -hmm. be able to get the space and um, I think yeah that landlord took a risk on us and was like uh, okay give us this much in deposit and uh, was and it something extra no more no I mean more than the normal uh, amount or did they want like like a year or, or so what? i think um from my online research very sophisticated research i uh sort of had certain conditions that i wouldn't accept so i wouldn't accept a personal guarantee okay because i just didn't know what i was getting into and yeah. sort of i don't know what i need to be looking out for yeah. etc um and that landlord asked for nine months deposit um usually for a new business it's around six months yeah um but then again from my online research, I saw that the standard is around six months. So we negotiated a little bit and he agreed that once we're open, if he thinks we're actually operating, he would return three months. Okay. So it would just be six months. So we signed that lease and once we were open and sort of first week he came, visited and then returned three months and then we closed two weeks later. <laughs> <laughs> Gosh, wow. Yeah, I remember visiting... Um the the fir first um when you opened um it was different just before i guess covid um and yeah it was it was quiet and and i was thinking wow like what's gonna happen now <laughs> yeah. but um having said that so you you spoke about the lease up to the lease part then what you've got the keys yeah. happy moment you've transferred yeah. the funds you know all good now what um so initially as i was uh negotiating the lease i was googling interior designers Again, we found a few companies, reached out to them, started working with one of them. And then the landlord's solicitor was like, okay, who's your solicitor? And I just, I didn't have a solicitor. So I asked them for a recommendation. They recommended someone and uh, he's been fantastic. I mean, I was very lucky. We, I still work with him to this day. And it's I amazing. You kind of flipped the him. kind of uh, situation back on them to yeah. kind of. <laughs> and it, really cool. it was also, I think, a lucky time for us and them because they were a startup law firm so they were already senior partners at a, um, one of london's largest law firms and they decided to leave to set up their own practice nice um so i think they were sort of early days 
still looking for clients, etc. So they Amazing. took us on board. Um, so yeah, so found the um, found the uh, lawyer, and then the designers finished their designs. Uh, again, googled for contractors, found a company that had a really nice website. They did a ton of projects in London. So I thought, okay, they've done all these projects. They must be good. I went to visit some of their projects. Things seemed good. They gave me one recommendation. I spoke to that person. They were like, yeah, it looks, it, they work fine. Um, so we started working with them and um, built the place up. Uh, Any challenges along the way where you think, thought, what the hell? Like, no, now what? Like everything is going good and then some challenges appear. Oh yeah, I mean, uh, I haven't said, uh, I haven't spoken about any challenges, but it was yeah, talk to us about the, uh, the, about the challenges. <laughs> from the beginning, it was... Um, I think everything from the working with the interior designers to the contractors, it was just a nightmare um, because everyone pitches their business and everyone tells you, work with me. I've done this so many times. I'll All give you- All nice and rosy. Yeah, everything is going to be great. Um, I, we've done this with so many cafes. We know what we're doing. So you go to the designers and you think, okay, they will tell me how to lay out a bar, what equipment I need, etc. And then once you sign, pay the deposit, you realize they have no clue. And uh, so again, I had to do a ton of research online, literally look at videos of cafes, where they put their equipment, how it's set up, try and piece together from the conversations they're having, why the machine is here versus the grinder is there, what equipment, all of those things. And um, again, I was telling the designers, okay, no, we're not going to use this machine because this is a home coffee machine. It's just never going to work. <laughs> uh, what you recommended is just ludicrous. Um, we're going to use this one. Again, you go to coffee suppliers, you speak to them. Everyone wants to pitch you the most expensive equipment with the newest, shiniest uh, piece of kit. But again, it's not necessarily the best piece of equipment because a lot of the new tech is just experimental. It doesn't really work or you'll end up paying so much in maintenance costs. Yeah. So it was just about figuring things out. I mean, with the contractors as well, I think at some point they realized it's my first time, I don't know what I'm doing. So they exploited that in a way. Um, and yeah, you just realized, again, the designers would choose materials that don't really work. They look beautiful the first week and then they're impossible to maintain or they forgot to do something. Um, Tonight, yeah, man. so many challenges even to this day. It's a, it's a very... It really uh, is, is a nightmare, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it is a nightmare. <laughs> well, I'm glad. I'm glad you kind of uh, managed to launch finally. And, and, and I, I, I'm, I, it's, it's been a pleasure kind of like being also kind of witnessing that journey with you along the way. Um, now, obviously, lockdown happened and the shop is shut. Now what? What did you do during the lockdown time? Guys, I hope you are enjoying listening and watching this podcast if you have been enjoying so far please don't forget to like and subscribe let's get back into the show um so i hung out in the cafe alone a lot <laughs> in your uh, own cafe <laughs> yeah uh just sort of reading um trying to develop work on systems for the cafe um do more research i think at that point we unfortunately were unlucky in the first stage of the um, um, the salary support scheme, furlough uh, scheme, yeah. the furlough scheme. So we missed out on that one because uh, we didn't file uh, payees the month before because oh, we had just yeah, opened. Yeah. So I uh, thought about it and I thought, okay, I've hired this team. 
they've left their previous jobs. They're not going to be able to get a salary anywhere else. COVID at the time, again, it was incredibly uncertain. It was just the first lockdown. So I thought, okay, this could be the end of the world. I don't need the money (laughs) (laughs) if that happens. Um, Or if it's sort of just a a fleeting thing, again, I'd love to support these people who put their trust in me and join my team. So we paid the salaries um, for that month just out of pocket because I think it was just the right thing to do. And then we realized that so many hospitality businesses and the government was sort of saying, if you're a takeaway shop, you can continue to open. So about a month, maybe six weeks later, we reopened and um, we just operated as a takeaway uh, coffee shop. Um, And uh, people in the neighborhood really loved it because it was their only experience with other people during the day. It was the only time they could speak to someone. Um, again, we operated very different procedures based on government guidelines. So whether it's curbside pickup or just take away one person at a time in the shop, etc. So we tried to sort maintain of all the maintain all the rules, yeah. things uh, as we progressed. Amazing! It's it's really interesting, and and um, I guess I will ask you more about your um, further shops. So when when did you realize? Okay, now I'm kind of I'm good with one shop one one cafe now i need more like how did that come about the thought process um i think even to this day i'm not happy with the the operations i don't think it's perfect um i think it's part of just trying to deliver a good product to people uh is constantly being critical of yourself what you're offering and what you're doing and trying to develop it and improve it um i always had the idea that we wanted to open more shops because it helps you in so many ways, not not financially, because it actually it could be the same level of profitability at four shops versus one shop, because you have to develop a head office team, mm-hmm. you have to have people employed, you have more and more responsibilities. Um, but I always felt it was important to hire the right people and provide them with career opportunities and progression. And so it, it's very difficult to offer that when you're one shop, if you have a really good manager or a really good barista, um, at some point, they want to develop their career and grow. So you could either say, I'm sorry, it's just one shop. There's no, there's nowhere for you to go. Or you can try and grow the business and then offer them more opportunities organically through the business. And that was one of my main motivations. It was also um, on other areas because when you're, when you're four shops or more shops, you have a stronger negotiating power with your suppliers, with... Um, sort of a stronger purchasing ability so it's not about pressuring your suppliers but if naturally you're buying let's say 200 kilos a week from someone versus uh, 50 kilos a week you're able to get better prices so you're able to offer a better product at a lower price Um, and then also being able to hire internal trainers and and improve the quality of the products that's very difficult when you have one shop um so again with scale you're able to improve things but again scale brings its own challenges yeah (laughs) it really is kind of um, challenging isn't it you know you've got then more kind of it helps with the costs uh, splitting the cost and all of that but then at the same time you need more resources like you said you need an office you need additional people training you know quality control and things like that so very very interesting and currently have four shops. Um, you've opened the most recent one in iconic Mayfair, which I've been to. Looks amazing. Um, 
what does quality mean to you? Because I've, I've noticed even, you know, with this cup, you know, it feels quality. Yeah. Um, I suppose is, um, you know, addressing the needs for sustainability and all of that. You're encouraging the sustainability aspect yeah. with your business for reusing uh, the cups. Um, but I, everything that I see, there's, there's a bit of, there's, there's not bit um, quality involved. What does that mean to you? Well, thank you for noticing. Um, yeah, I, I completely agree. I think quality is is really important in, in everything we do and focus on sustainability and focus on efficiency in a way. Um, for us, for example, with these cups, I sort of, whenever I try to put something in a cafe or design any of our processes, we try to think from first principles. So for me, a takeaway cup, I. First of all, I have specific, um, I have a specific focus on design. So I always feel that things need to be just stripped down to the essentials. So I always loved cups that didn't have handles because um, I feel that gives you a connection with the drink that you're yeah. having. And it's sort of, it's a very small thing, but it's psychologically, I think it makes a difference. So when we were thinking about these cups, we were thinking about, um, okay, we want to, takeaway cups reusable that don't have handles that are easy to put in a bag they're not bulky they're not clunky it's not a very big double walled product mm -hmm. it's simple elegant um, it the color should blend in with your environment if you're in an office you mm -hmm. don't want a colorful cup on your desk um, so all of these things we thought about when we were thinking about the cup even going into the detail of the printing on a cup so again we found a variety of suppliers who were offering us printing on the cups and we always I always felt that okay you'll have the cup for a month it gets scratched the logo gets scratched and it doesn't look nice so we found a supplier that would etch it into the stainless steel itself so that it doesn't get scratched oh off. I just noticed um, so all of these little things even on the bottom you have these uh, rubber mats mm. and so if you put it somewhere on a tube, if you put it next to you, it doesn't slip. If it's in a car, it doesn't slip. So all of these little design things. But then when you look at the cup, it seems very simple, very elegant, yep. very effective. No, I love it. Doing what it needs to be I love to it. Doing. Even inter your inter interior decorations, you know, I've seen your coffee shops, the way things are placed, you know, everything seemed very, it had a place, everything had a belonging. So well done. Congratulations, man. You know, I really, I, I do appreciate good designs as well. Thank and, you. and, and. You know, definitely recommend anyone that's going into business, definitely consider quality. And on the interiors point you mentioned, we actually have a very different approach to a lot of other businesses where every cafe is designed very differently to the other to the Amazing. others. So every new interior is a completely different interior to give people the experience of going somewhere new whenever they go to a grillum, but they get the same quality, same attention to detail and the products and ingredients. Amazing, that's super cool. That's super, super cool. Um, quickly, um, I suppose, um, what do you look for when you hire someone? What is that one biggest thing that, that, that needs to be kind of there? For me, the most important thing is just honesty and having a, a, a appreciation for the team you're in and uh, hard work, I think, that's sort of the most important thing. Uh, those are the most important things. Generally, any skills we can teach you. Um, in this day and age, you can virtually learn anything online if you put your mind to it. I think hard work manifests in a few different 
ways you could be just attentive, you could be sort of um, proactive, or you could be someone who doesn't shy away from learning something new. And so when you find someone who's honest, hardworking, i.e. all of the qualities. How long does it take for you to kind of, obviously, people, obviously, when it comes to interviews, it's very difficult to kind of just pinpoint who's who. Yeah. And um, you need to give it some time before you kind of come to a real judgment or, I guess, understanding. Mm. How long does it take for you to kind of realize, okay, this one's going to stay and this one's not going to stay? I think it actually is a process that in a way happens after the interview. I mean, in the interview, you look for certain things. If someone's 15 minutes late and doesn't acknowledge that they were late or sort of just says, oh, sorry, I overslept, etc., that's immediately a red flag. Yeah. Um, if um, someone sort of uh, is, is very careless in their answers, etc. So all of the, the standard things that you've... Uh, that you, I'm sure, have come across in interviews, um, you just wouldn't hire that person. Are you quite stringent in terms of your kind of um, acceptability? Like, you know, you know, sometimes when you meet other human beings, you're like, Do you know what, like, I kind of like him, but there's certain things, you know, that are not quite there. Do you kind of overpass it or do you kind of say, Do you know what, it hasn't met my core conditions and it's not going to happen? Nothing. I think it depends on the position we're hiring for and the needs of the business. Um, Unfortunately, hospitality is facing significant headwinds because of Brexit, COVID, the aftermath of COVID. So for a while, the majority of people working in hospitality businesses were European. And so after Brexit, a lot of them have left. Um, and with the lockdowns, etc., a ton have left the country and decided never to return. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, for a while, faced a lot of staffing issues. And so at that point, you have to sort of take the best person you can find. You cannot close the shop down and say i just haven't found the right people yet exactly you but, keep you keep going yeah but for other positions we are very strict and uh, we'd rather keep it vacant until we find the right person so now i have a few interesting questions for you and um, i suppose maybe you haven't expected it or maybe you have i don't know um, but my first question is what's your favorite non-egyptian cuisine uh that's a really good question i I change my mind about this every few months, I would say, depending on which restaurants I'm trying to experiment with. But I've uh, at the moment, I'm really into Japanese cuisine. I think nice. it's fascinating. Yeah, I think I'm kind of getting into the vibe as yeah. well because I, I initially didn't get it. Like I didn't understand it, but yeah. the more I'm kind of having, it's a bit like coffee. Yeah. The more you have, the more you kind of get into Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Egypt or UK? Uh, that's a really uh, <laughs> difficult question. I think there are benefit, like there are beautiful things in both countries, and um, it's very hard to decide and choose a place. I mean, for me, I believe I love people in general, and I just don't think one has to be over the other. I mean, there are incredible people here, there are incredible people there, and it's we're all humans, and humanity and our sort of shared experiences are, are more powerful. Amazing. Android or Apple? Apple. Why? 100%. <laughs> Do you have any message for Android users? I just switched to Apple. <laughs> uh, my, my, message, my question to Apple users is like, what are they fans of? Android itself or the Samsung device or, or, or which one? Because uh, they seem to be a bit confused in terms of what they are fans of. Yeah. So at least with Apple, you know you're kind of appreciating the software as well as the hardware. Yeah. Um, what's your biggest fear? Um, 
my biggest fear I guess uh, cliche but disappointing my parents or failing um, those are my two biggest fears right right um, worst thing about your I guess business business ownership job what is the worst thing uh, <laughs> where <laughs> do I start um, <laughs> I think it's a much more difficult job than a lot of people think. I mean, maybe some people will see this interview and think, oh, it's really cool. He owns this uh, business and uh, he's doing an interview on a podcast. But it's actually, it's very consuming. And you're the person who everyone goes to with every problem they couldn't solve. And when you're starting a business, especially one that you don't have much experience in, you're just trying to figure out everything on your own. <laughs> yeah. So it feels scary and lonely at times. And you sort of just don't know what you need to be doing or nice. what you nice. need to be looking out for. What's your favorite quote that inspires you a lot? Um, I don't have a favorite one. I would say there's a lot of quotes that would inspire me based on the situation. I actually have a, a huge page of quotes that I keep on Evernote that I sort of just flick through every now and then just to remind myself. Amazing. What annoys or irritates or frustrates you most? Like what is that one thing that if you see is that it kind of gets on your nerves? Uh, apathy and dishonesty. Okay, you do not like dishonesty. You just yeah. want people to be straight up yeah. and transparent. Okay, nice. Um, your biggest weakness? Um my biggest weakness well i have a few i mean uh, it's not like i'm struggling to find <laughs> i'm just trying to see what i can say publicly <laughs> um no i i think uh, my biggest weakness at the moment because again i i sort of reflect on myself every now and then and try and work towards uh developing i would say my biggest weakness at the moment is my time management um with a business you sort of are distracted on so many different things and so when you take stock of what you've done the last mm -hmm. week, et cetera, you, um, I realized that, okay, I've addressed a few things, but I could have done it in a much more efficient manner and then had time to do other things. Um, so that's one of the biggest uh, things I'm working on at the moment. I have a, I guess it's, a, it's quite a personal question from me to you. Like, what, why do you do what you do? Because it's not like, Alhamdulillah, like with with God's blessing, you guys are very well established. You know whether it's in Egypt or or, or in London. Um, but why do you do what you do? Like many people would be like kind of thinking, you know, if I had money, then I I wish I I would do this and such and such. But you are very, you know, still at it, and you, you know you're not kind of stopping. I think it depends on what motivates you. Um, for me, I'm incredibly proud whenever I see people on my team who have grown in the company and have sort of built careers or are in places where they just didn't know they could get to at some point. So seeing the team around me develop is one of the most motivating things in existence. Also, just building relationships with people is, is an amazing thing. And through a business, you're able to build professional relationships, but also personal ones. If you're working a lot with certain people, new suppliers, etc., you're mm -hmm. able to meet people. And I started that, I, I wanted to get the experience of starting my own thing because I felt that you're never going to be challenged as much if you're working in a family business, especially if it's your family business, yeah. because, you know, it's your business that you're going into and your dad is sort of well-established in that business. So I just wanted to make sure that I'm somewhere where 
people don't care at all who I am or there's sort of no network or connections that I could rely on and see if I could build something from, from the ground up uh, with no support. And, Amazing. Uh, and you have done incredibly well. Again, like, you know, going back to the everything that I see from your shops, I know you say we are always kind of critique of our own kind of weaknesses, mm. but I think it's also important to appreciate the good stuff. Yeah. And and there's, there, there are a lot of goods. And in fact, I've like made notes of like, you know, how I can personally implement you know some ideas into our perfume business that i think mm. there is a kind of overlap between cafe and 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 perfumery mm. so i suppose yeah I've, I've 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 learned a few things from yourself so thank you no, thank now you. this is a more of a personal question what is your relationship with god or religion uh it's a very close uh, relationship uh, definitely it's uh, one of the most important things uh, in life and um yeah, I guess it manifests in so many ways, like honesty, uh, doing the right thing are huge parts of, of the religion and, and your relationship with God. I think it's just sort of behaving constantly as if you're sort of you're doing things when no one's around as if people are around and looking at you. I think that's, I mean, in the context of business, a really important part of, uh, of, the, of the relationship. And just trying to do the right thing constantly without expecting a reward because you just don't care about earthly rewards. You're sort of just trying to do right, the right thing. Amazing. Now, just a few more questions left. Yeah, and of then uh, you'll be, no, you'll be on your pleasure. way. Um, Please, I know time is of many. essence um, to yourself. Um, give me an example of, of a business deal that you've done that really kind of materialized into something really good for you and you were kind of proud of it. Like, you know, I'm happy. You know, I'm happy with the outcome and, you know, I'm glad like I've kind of played it the way I have. I think um, some of them actually it's an excellent question and I wouldn't say it's something that that was planned. Um, so we recently uh, took on an investment. It wasn't part of my plan to, to raise money or uh, bring in investors, but it just so happened that I met some people uh, through a different context and uh, I was helping a friend with something else and I met those people and then they were really interested in the business. Um, they liked the fact that we built this in London um, during COVID and uh, they just thought there's a lot of synergies between their existing businesses and this business. So um, I think I, I was very glad to have not thought about it as a I'm trying to get the most money mm -hmm. or trying to get the best deal for myself. It was just sort of a, a transparent, honest conversation between the two parties and we reached a deal that worked really well. And it's, I would say, developed more into a friendship than any sort of business relationship. And um, yeah, again, it, I think it speaks to a lot of the serendipitous moments that you need to rely on. So again, our friendship or our family's meeting was you know, you could have a chat with someone next to you on the plane and then not think that about was it. it. But hmm. actually just follow through, see if that person is someone interesting. It's amazing what, what, thing, what happens, yeah. you know, like, you know, once you follow it through. And, and I feel like everything happens for a reason. Yeah. Whatever, whoever we meet, whatever happens to us, good or bad, there is some sort of blessing or some sort of education or, or, or lessons for us. Now, my next question is about mental health and physical routine physical mm. exercise you know how do you deal with it because you are incredibly busy and how do you kind of fit it all in 
Yeah, I think that's something I started to appreciate the importance of maybe two years ago. Um, because again, when I was in finance, it was sort of working very long hours. Everything is secondary to work. Um, nowadays, I try and prioritize elements of that. Uh, so mental health for me is very important. You just sometimes have to say no to things when you don't want to do them or you don't want to meet those people. Or you don't think they're <laughs> adding anything to your life. Physical health is incredibly important. I've been you're quite young, right? You know, you kind of, um, when I first met you, you were quite, you know, developed in terms of your physique. Um, when did you start and at what age? Uh, so I've gone through cycles in terms of my uh, physique. Um, I started when I was really, really young. So I was very fat when I was young. Really? And then, yeah. I mean, not super fat, but like, yeah, definitely overweight. And I had a trainer who was uh, advising me, okay, start doing push-ups every day at home and that will help you. So I started to do that and I, I'm really into judo, so I, I love that sport. And um, so I just did judo as well as rugby, sort of on and off uh, with, uh, with both sports. But um, I've always trained, I've always worked out. So I developed from when I was very young that routine of doing push-ups, squats, air squats, burpees, etc. at home whenever there's no opportunity to go to a gym. And so, again, it sort of depends on how busy I am. I'll either, I mean, I always make sure to train at least three times a week, maybe every day if I can. Um, so if I'm unable to go to the gym, it will be push-ups, burpees, stuff like that at home. If I'm able to go to the gym, it's sort of a good session. On a, a day where I can go to judo, I go to judo. For, so for the last couple of years, I've been trying to go to judo at least once a week. Again, injuries would... Uh, prevent me sometimes but yeah I think physical exercise is incredibly incredibly important to your mental health to your sort of general well-being and uh, it's something I would encourage everyone to take on in some capacity I mean either find a sport that you could do with friends socially or just do something at least twice a week how does it translate to your business business life in terms of does it help in any way the ability to go to the gym and you know do a good workout session for me i feel like it does help in terms of mm. reducing the stress levels and and mm. you know if something was bugging you then yeah. you know you can solve that problem yeah i mean i've seen your transformation and it's incredible by the way i wanted to congratulate Thank you. you well done um it definitely is incredibly helpful in so many ways beyond just reducing the stress i know a lot of people will say i go to the gym i de-stress after work it helps me and it's fantastic that that happens to you. For me, I actually slightly get stressed in the gym because um, <laughs> I think I've just been going for so long that it's uh, I have to be doing something else interesting because it gets really boring. And that's where things like judo come in because uh. you're 100% focused. Otherwise, you'll get thrown. And so you're able to actually... You know, some, someone else said the same thing as well about boxing. They were, they're encouraging me to kind of start boxing because yeah. that's when you're kind of super focused to yeah. kind of to, a, to an extreme level. Yeah. And I think sort of the physical exercise itself, I mean, again, your body regenerates weak cells, you develop muscles, your breathing improves, your stamina improves, your mental health generally, you just feel better. Again, in so many ways, you're, you're just, your body is stronger, so you're able to withstand things better, your heart rate improves, your resting heart rate. And I think the endorphins released after the exercise also make you just a... 
happier, happier person. person. Exactly. <laughs> yes, 100%. One last question. Um, in your, whether it's in your professional life or, or business life, what is that one sacrifice that you've had to make? And, and that could be, you know, sacrifice time with your family or events or, or, or just relaxation. I think it's all of the above. <laughs> just uh, <coughs> you uh, sacrifice a lot of things, of course. You have to prioritize your time because it's when you don't have a boss in a way, it's very easy to just not do much and sort of be content with what you have. So you have to constantly push yourself and then just make those difficult decisions when you're sacrificing, seeing friends to working, um, spending time with family to work, etc. So you, you just have to find a balance because, again, relationships are really important. And um, whether it's family or friends, these relationships are really important just for you to be a happier person and sort of a, a much more comfortable person in yourself. And again, that relates to sport because if you're healthy, you're happier. And all of that translates into better performance at work. I think you have to go through a phase where you're working on yourself so that you're a better person at work. And so that's where I disagree with the idea of just going 100% with work. I mean, I would support the idea of going 100% with life yeah. in general. So just, you know, have a very busy schedule every day, work out, maybe catch up with a friend or a family member and then work all of the other hours. It that keeps you engaged and yeah. it kind of keeps you on track as well. And yeah. you don't do like waste time. And, you yeah. know, that's one thing that I probably irritates me as, yeah. as, as well is like wasting of time so i yeah. try and keep myself very yeah. busy and an idle brain idle mind starts wandering off so yeah you need to keep it kind of very yeah. and it's just about and prioritizing i mean if you have a, an important shop opening or you're launching something new again you could spend a week or two just doing nothing but working uh, but then again when you have a holiday just think about it as Okay, I'm going to relax for a bit. I'm going to work out. I'm going to see friends. Just try and use your time in a better way. Super important, I yeah. think. You know, that that kind of unwinding moment. Before, I never used to get it. I never used to appreciate yeah. it. But now I kind of, I think the older I'm growing, I'm starting to appreciate that. Yeah. Actually, just slow down a bit. Yeah. You know, it kind of makes you more effective in, in yeah. some sense. Because constantly working, you're kind of, you clog up. Yeah, uh, no, absolutely. I, I completely agree. I think... Some people will meditate to get rid of that. Some people will pray to just get your mind focused on one thing. For me, judo, again, you're 100% focused on one thing. That is a form of meditation for me. And even just before I came here, I was uh, just walking outside for a little bit, not really thinking about anything, just trying to clear my mind for 15 it's minutes. It's nice to not think about yeah. anything, isn't it? <laughs> it's, it's hard work when you're constantly just yeah. thinking, I want to be doing this or sending yeah. that message or that email. But it's still important to just clear your mind and then be ready for something for the next thing. Amazing. Abdullah, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you because I don't think we've ever kind of had such direct conversation kind Mm. of on a one to one basis without any distraction or whatsoever. It's normally either our phones or something else. And then you're kind of half listening and half Mm. not listening. So. It's been an absolute pleasure pleasure to kind of get to know you more and, and I hope our audience have appreciated your journey and um, I look forward to seeing you again sometime very soon. No, the pleasure is all mine. Thank Inshallah. you so much. Thank you. And I think uh, you need to have someone interview you for your journey as well. 
because it's been incredible. So uh, maybe on one of the episodes, and I, and just I, reverse yes, interview. Yes, I think I should do I'd that. I'd happily take on that role. <laughs> Definitely. That. In fact, I've, I've, I've got myself a volunteer now. So okay. as long as you can be tough on me, that's yeah. fine. Because no, yeah. someone needs to be kind of to get the best the out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I guess we have a volunteer now. Uh, amazing, amazing. 